Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. That he's willing to work with us, and he's willing to work with his saints. And I love that about the Lord. He's just, he's so wonderful like that. You know, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, this is a verse we know very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues in Chapter 1 of the Book of Judges. As we move forward, we see that seeking the Lord, obeying His guidance, and working together as a body always produces great results. The children of Israel's success was plain to see. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Seeking the Lord for all we do is vital for success in our walk with Jesus and brings joy to his heart that we trust him. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Chapter 20, verses 16 through 18 specifically, God told him to go in and wipe out every single person, man, woman, and child, uh, of those seven people groups because the iniquity of the Amorites had gotten full. And that's what it said in Genesis 15. Um, that that's the reason why God allowed those uh, few hundred years while the children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians. They were there for 430 years. And all during that time, God was giving those peoples in Canaan, those seven nations, uh, plenty of time uh, to repent of their idolatry, to uh, repent of their disobedience and the wicked things that they were doing. But notice that it, it's interesting that had they done a thorough job, they wouldn't be in their predicament that they are in now. And see, the thing is, whenever we kick the can down the road, in other words, when we procrastinate and we don't do what we're supposed to do from the very beginning, we end up uh, not finishing the job and it comes back to haunt us later on down the road. It just seems to be the way it is in everything, in everything in your life. And, and perhaps you, you, you understand this, um, and I certainly do too. There's been times in my life where I haven't finished what I was supposed to do, and as a result of that, I find myself in a jam later on down the road. And it never pays off, does it? It never pays to uh, kick the can down the road and hope that, well, I'll get to it the next day. I'll get to it the next day. Someday I'll get to that, and someday I'll get to that. And God wants us to do it today. And so because they didn't do that, that's um, that's why they're having this problem. 
And but you know what? This is human nature, isn't it? Uh, the the natural man, apart from Christ, is that way. He he will always procrastinate. He will always wait and do things later. And and even as a Christian, um, we can do that too. But there's enough uh, warning in the Bible about these things that we ought to take it seriously and to say, you know what, Lord, when you tell me to do something, I want to do it and I want to finish the job. I want to do my very best. That's why it says, you know, uh, in everything that you do, in word or deed, do all to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's really his his heart's desire. But notice in verse 2, it says, The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Notice that God chose Judah. Out of all the other 12 tribes, or the other 11 tribes, he chose Judah to do it. And notice the confidence that God had in, in saying it. Notice, he says, Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Into his hand, Judah alone, that tribe alone, God had given them, the delivered the land into their hand. And, you know, I love the fact that God is confident. He knows what he can do through each one of us, whether it's an individual or whether it's a people group. It doesn't really matter. When God says, I'm going to do this through you, he means what he says. And and and, and oftentimes I, I, I can um, dishonor him by saying, Lord, I need... I need more help. And you know what I want, you know what I think is so wonderful about the Lord is He doesn't upbraid us when we are struggling. We see that over and over in the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, we see God's gracious hand uh, when His servants are struggling. And even when they have a little bit of faith, remember the one man who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and, and just the honesty of the man, Jesus said, go and your, your, your child will be made whole. You know, and so, but Judah was the kingly tribe, and God is setting really a precedent here if you see this, because underline that Judah shall go up. That's the first thing he says out of all the tribes, Judah shall go up. And why Judah? Why Judah of all the tribes? Well, it really goes back to Genesis chapter 49, if you remember when Jacob was on his deathbed, and you might want to just write these verses down. It's Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. You remember when Jacob was on his deathbed. He had his 12 sons around him, and one of those tribes, of course, was Judah. And what did he say to Judah? He says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's children shall bow down before you. And so already God remembered uh, what Jacob had said back at that time. In fact, it was God who was inspiring Jacob with those words, that those those blessings, those prophecies that were coming out of Jacob's mouth in that last day that he was alive on the earth was was there by God. And so God, speaking through jo, uh, J, uh, Jacob, now is re- recalling that very thing and saying, I want Judah to go up. I want Judah to be preeminent of the tribes because, notice what it says in verse 9 of Genesis 49. It says, Judah is a lion's whelp, and from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse, rouse him? And verse 10 is the key here. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now Shiloh, we know, is a reference to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so God is setting Judah forward in this. So we go on to verse 3. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, 
Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Now, it's interesting. If you were to look at a map of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the things you'll notice is right in the center, literally right in the center of Judah's inheritance is just a small little circle, and that belonged to Simeon. So you had like Simeon here and then Judah all around it. And so it would kind of make sense, you know, for Judah to say to Simeon, his brother, come up with me and help me, and and when I'm done we're conquering my enemies, I'll go with you to conquer your enemies. So it was a very natural thing for them to do. God didn't seem to have a problem with this, although it wasn't his perfect will. Remember, uh, in the previous verse, God says, I, I've delivered it to Judah's hand. And so Judah didn't need Simeon, but God didn't seem to um, punish them or upbraid them for uh, going together um, because God could have done it through Judah uh, all by themselves. And he's, he is able to accomplish the task, but because of their weakness and their timidity, he allowed them to help each other. And, and, and that brings uh, to mind a couple of phrases that we have heard over the years. And one of them is, whatever God orders, he pays for. So if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And, um, and God's commandments includes the enablement, right? So when God says, I'm going to do this in and through your life, that means the enablement is already there. We don't have to worry about, Lord, am I, am I ready for this? Um, I don't feel like I can do this, Lord. You know, and all of our excuses come out, don't they? And God is saying, um, no, I, I can do it through you. Uh, you don't need any help. And in fact, if you remember, this reminds me of the very thing that happened with Moses and Aaron. Remember in, uh, in Exodus, God had called Moses, who had fled from Egypt and now was in the desert uh, for 40 years, wandering around, uh, sheep herding, for his, uh, his father-in-law. And uh, God told him to go and set his people free. And if you remember, God told him to do it, and Moses uh, was, was timid about it. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. And so you can already see the, the excuses coming out, and, and, and we see this in, um, in human nature. And and certainly the precedent is here in Moses and his life. He says, I am not eloquent, neither before uh, nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So I've got a speech impediment, Lord. I can't go and, and help um, do anything for your people. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. In other words, send anybody else but me. Send anybody else but me, Lord. And so, again, you know, and and I love God's response to this. It says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he's also coming out to meet you. And so when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words 
in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. And so he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as as God. And so, you know, God called Moses to speak to to Pharaoh and was able to accomplish it with just Moses, even with all of his insecurities. Even with his speech insecurities, God was able to do it. But you notice that God allows in his permissive will. And there's always two wills. There's God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And when we settle for God's permissive will, we're really missing out on seeing God's power in full display in and through our lives. But when we settle for his permissive will, basically what we're saying is, I'm not quite there, Lord, so if you could just do this or do that, um, then I'll go. And, and, and many times, you see it even in Gideon's life, we'll see that as we get into the book of Judges too, that he's willing to work with us, and he's willing to work with his saints. And I love that about the Lord. He's just, he's so wonderful like that. You know, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, this is a verse we know very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And so that's exactly uh, what God wanted to do through Moses. He wanted to, um, for Moses to trust in him in spite of all of these things. And yet Moses, in his uh, frailty, in his uh, unbelief, you know, the Lord was angry, but did he just say, you know what, I'm just going to choose somebody else? You know, that's typically what the world does. But you know what, uh, regardless of where you feel in your life, and you may feel like that too. God is, he's never through with you. He's, he doesn't want to be done with you. He wants to take what, what what's there and, and work with it. You know, because God doesn't need the talented. He doesn't need the gifted individual. But rather, he, he chooses the one who is broken and the one who is willing to be used and to be obedient. And that's really all there is to it. You know, brokenness and being willing to be used by God. That That is... That is something that God would rather use than some guy who has all the gifts and all the talents, you know, because there's a lot of people like that in the world, and they boast in, uh, in themselves. But God gets the glory when a humble servant, uh, a humble person, uh, most of us, you know, God wants to do something through us, and, and we argue with him, and then finally we, we surrender, and we don't feel like he's doing anything, and then he does something really wonderful, blows our minds, and then we really can't boast in it, right? Because no flesh can boast in the presence of God, and, and He loves to get the glory. And, and what a joy it is to be used by God. Isn't it wonderful to be used by Him? When, when you really don't have it all together, when you feel like this thing is going to, whatever it is, is going to be a complete disaster, and then God pulls through and does something really wonderful beyond your expectations, beyond your understanding. And that's happened in my life a number of times, and I, I felt completely... Uh, underwhelmed, I felt uninspired, I felt like I wasn't really in the spirit, walking in the spirit, feeling feeling like like just compromised and, and, and God says, I just want you to do this and then you do it and then you see the results and you're just like your jaw is hitting the ground. Maybe you can relate to that along with me because I know that's happened to me as well. But let's go on to verse four there. It says, So Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. Notice that the Lord didn't punish them because of their lack of faith. You know, He didn't upbraid them. You know, He was very uh, kind with them. Uh, in fact, you know, the Lord 
is 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 so wonderful. He's not like what people think that he is. There's so many people who think that he's just this stiff uh, disciplinarian who is just anxious to pound on people, and he's just got this iron fist in, in heaven and just can't wait to smash people and judge people. And people have that that view of God, and it's totally wrong. And you know, and we're reading it right now that he is not like that. His character is so different than that. In fact, in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6, notice what it says. This is when God was speaking to Moses after he had broken those uh, those two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he was going to make another two tablets. And so while he was up on the on Mount Sinai, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed this, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty and visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And another passage says, of those that hate me. Of those that hate me. And so... God is, he's all of that. He's abounding in goodness and truth. I can almost hear Gail Irwin. If any of you see Gail Irwin, he would just say, abounding in goodness and truth and keeping mercy for, uh, for thousands, forgiving iniquity. And see, that's who God is. He's not some uh, uh, judge in the sky who just wants to pound. Remember that God is a God of grace. He is serious about sin, but he's very gracious, and he gives much opportunity for us to turn doesn't he? In fact, I love what it says in Isaiah 42. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. And I love that about the Lord too. You know, a bruised reed he's not going to break. When you think of a reed and it's bruised and it's kind of uh, tender in the middle and it's kind of, it doesn't have any uh, stiffness in the center of it, he's not just going to break that off. And if he sees a smoking flax, you know he's not going to quench it. He's gonna he's gonna fan the flame, and that's who God is. That's His character. Do you believe that? Because a lot of people have really crazy ideas about God because they don't read the Word of God. We need to read the Word of God because it's important for us to see His character and how He deals with people, and ultimately how He's dealt with us and how He's going to deal with uh, us in the future too. And He's very gracious. So verse four it says. You know, at the end there, it says, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. You know, don't be sympathetic or call into question God's character upon what or whom he brings judgment upon. Because we don't always have all of the facts. You know, when he brings uh, this judgment upon these men, that that was what God had wanted all along. And and yet they hadn't continued uh, um, in in, in continuing with the job of... uh, of exterminating the inhabitants of the land. And so we don't have uh, really the right to call God into question about these things. Even though they're difficult for us to understand, God's judgment is just, just as His mercy is just. He's, uh, He's both things. He's a God of grace and He's also a God of war. And sometimes we have a hard time uh, juxtaposing those two. You know, if you remember in, in Jeremiah when the Babylonians were coming against Judah and Jerusalem specifically, there was a time, you know, when uh, God was laying out his indictment really against the uh, children of Israel and Judah specifically. 
And there came a point where God told Jeremiah, and it's recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 7, he says, Do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. And that sounds like a really strange thing coming from God, right? Don't pray. I mean, is there ever a time when you heard God say to you, don't pray? Uh, Because we should be praying about everything. And yet there is a, a point in time, and it's not for us to understand or to really know why that is, but we have to trust God. When he says the time has come for judgment, who are we to say that it isn't? You know, he is who he is. And and so we ought not to uh, come against that. And so verse 5, they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him, and they caught him. And notice what they did. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, do you see God anywhere in this uh, passage telling them to do that? Of course not. This is something that the the children of Israel did. And certainly when you cut off the the thumbs uh, of a a king and you cut off his big toes, guess what? He's not going to be able to hold a sword. He's not going to be able to be of any use whatsoever. It's sort of like hamstringing a horse. You cut the Achilles, you know, the tendon on the back of a horse's leg, you make that horse lame. And so this man, he's not going to be able to stand. He's not going to be able to hold a sword. He's pretty much uh, done, done for. He can't do anything. He can't stand. He can't hold anything. So his whole life is completely changed. And so they did that to him. But notice what it says in verse 7. So Adonai Bezek said, and this is his testimony, he said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. And it's interesting because he understood that God was... This is really a retributive thing that God was bringing it back upon his own life. You know, in in Matthew chapter 7, we know of the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And really that's the way we ought to be, right? And I think the alternate is true too sometimes. When we're cross with people and when we're nasty with people, guess what? We're going to get the same thing in return. And Adonai Bezek saw this very thing coming back on on his life. You know, it says in Psalm 54, Behold, God is my helper, and the Lord is with those who uphold my life, and he will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. And so we see Adonai Bezek falling under this same thing. It says in verse 8, Now the children of Judah, they fought against Jerusalem, and they took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, and they set the city on fire. Now, this doesn't mean that they completely rid the Jebusites, because remember, at this time, Jerusalem was the uh, the city of the Jebusites. Uh, the city was also called Jabus, and so Jerusalem was where the Jebusites were, And but they didn't finish the job, because we know that later on, in 2 Samuel, uh, we see uh, David uh, going up against the city, and, and we're talking about, you know, some 400, 500 years later, David is going up against the city. And you remember that David uh, was being ridiculed by the Jebusites living in Jerusalem. And uh, David said, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, uh, he shall be chief and captain. And so David, he dwelt in the stronghold, and he called the city called it the city of David. 
And in First Chronicles, it gives us a little more information about what happened there. Uh, Joab, who was David's, uh, 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 let me see, he would be his uh, brother-in-law, I believe, yes, because Zeruiah, uh, Joab was the son of Zeruiah, and Zeruiah is actually the name of a woman. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.